Rooster Tail Talk, a podcast dedicated to everything related to the sport we all love, hydroplane racing. I'm your host, David Newton, and it's time once again, so sit back, relax, and welcome to Rooster Tail Talk. It is January 28th, 2020. This is episode 19, second part of the Madison movie panel discussion. And hey, how cool is that? We have a brand new introduction to the show, professionally done by friend and talented musician Don Mock. Really appreciate his efforts in producing that and making that intro and that little jingle for us. Uh, it's a <laughs> it's a it's a cool way to start the episode. I think it's encompassing a lot that uh, we all love with hydroplane racing, right? The sound of the Griffin engine, the piston engines, the turbine engines. I can't think of a better way to start the episode than that. I just I think every time I hear that Griffin motor start up, it gives me goosebumps. So hope you enjoy it. I loved it. Thank you very much, Don. Really appreciate it. Well, anyways, last week we left off. Don Mock was actually talking about the models used in the filming of the movie. They were trying to get a couple different crashes and accidents using the models so it was a little bit safer. Because they didn't want to actually wreck the real boats and while they were filming. But unfortunately, one of the boats did wreck. David Williams and the Miss Madison spun out in filming. So let's continue with part two and the conclusion of the Madison movie panel discussion. Thousands of dollars worth of film every time we screwed up. So when, when they said action, you could hear these motors wind up in both these cameras. And we, boy, we better not screw up. But we did screw up a few times. But we, we nailed a couple beautiful crashes. And uh, they, they kind of used parts of them. But David really made it legit by spinning out the maps, and that was nice of you. <laughs> we got the wounds for it, too, man. Yeah, yeah, I, I still feel it whenever the gets cold. <laughs> you have to tell the story. You, you got, I was surprised seeing at his video how fast you guys were coming down the front straightaway. No wonder you spun it out. You were, you guys were. Yeah, David, was, that was a real accident, and that was really scary. It was, it was, it was yeah, what had happened is we had mounted the camera on the right rear of the Madison, right at the very back, and the shot they were looking for is I was supposed to tuck up, uh, the camera's going over my shoulder, I was supposed to tuck up right inside of Todd Yarling, who was playing Rick Winston, and they wanted to see my shoulder, my helmet, my hands, and then his dashboard, and then he would look over his shoulder and smile and move over uh, and cut me off. Well, the camera weighed with all the speed rail and, and the camera uh, and the air bottles, that was about 400 pounds. And normally what we did is we'd rig all that stuff on the, the trailer or at least suspend the boat above the, the river and rig all that. Well, they wanted to rig the camera to my lift swings, so I had to put the boat in the water. And the boat was in the water for about an hour and a half, and then they took a break and came back. Uh, they took a break from like 9 to 9.30 and the boat continued to fill with water. So by the time I went out, it was 9.45 in the morning. The boat was filled with water. I had all this weight. And Todd was, Todd was supposed to kind of do a, a hip check, but not really take me through the turn. He was supposed to hip check me so I could see his hands move, then straighten out, go out to about lane 11 and give me room to turn. And he had a, a wide transom pickle fork with an outboard skid fin. And we went hauling into that turn about 145, and he just grabbed a handful of left and turned right across me. And I tried to, to miss it, 
So I turned hard, and all that excess weight, it just spun the boat like a top. It's, it was strange, because it threw me out. I left the boat, and I traveled back, and I got hit by the camera. Uh, and the camera hit me in the center of the back and broke three ribs in my back, right next to my spine, which is a scary thing. But I ended up landing kind of sideways back in the cockpit, so I never en entered the water. But if you look at the onboard film, I had an American flag on my left shoulder, and the camera's over my right shoulder. And you can see the spray, in the middle of the spray, you see this American flag come flying through the spray, and then come right back at the lens of the camera. Um, so the funny story is, I think, Larry, did you walk up to the hospital with me? Yeah, yeah. They were so freaking cheap. <laughs> they only had one ambulance. And if the ambulance took me to the hospital, they'd have to shut down shooting, because you can't shoot without an ambulance on set. So they had me walk to the hospital. <laughs> and as we enter the, the emergency room of the hospital, I'm all wet, and I know that I've got broken ribs. Um, and who is the very first person we meet? Bruce Stern. Yes. Because before a major actor can perform in a movie, they have to go through a complete physical for the insurance because they don't want to get halfway through the movie and then find out that he's got a, you know, that he feels over dead. So Bruce is a motorsports guy and he does this. He comes up and goes, So how are those bones doing? <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever hurt so bad that you can smell the pain, but oh, it was the most excruciating thing. I may have called him a son of a bitch. I'm not sure. <laughs> but. Uh, it was also, I've never seen a hospital that small before in my life, other than some of the work I've done in West Africa. This was a little, tiny hospital, and so um, there was, I'll, I'll let you talk about the, the how come you can't race anymore, but um, it was a very pivotal part, a very pivotal part of this, uh, this production, because if David had taken any kind of pain medication, which would be normal for a person in this situation, uh, we, we simply, there would be no driver. So um, uh, you had to resort to some, I, I, some I other think Mark, Mark was sort of my backup driver on the Madison. I think he'd gone home by then, so there was no backup driver. And I went into the emergency room, um, and the doctor said, what happened? And I explained it, and he said, do you think you have broken ribs? I said, yeah, I think I have broken ribs. And he said, do you want me to find out? I said, yeah. He said, are you sure? Because you probably don't want me to find out. Why? Because if I find out you have broken ribs, I can't let you go back on the set. You're done with the movie. Oh, well, how do you treat broken ribs? Well, we wrap them with a bandage, and we give you pain medicine. Well, how do you treat bruised ribs? We wrap them with a bandage, and we give you pain medicine. Well, gosh, I think I have bruised ribs. Don't I have bruised ribs? <laughs> well, yes, I will diagnose you with bruised ribs. But here's the next problem. If I put you on pain medication, guess what? You can't go back. You can't be back on the set driving. So if I give you any pain medication, you can't go drive the boat. All right. So what are you going to do? Well, I can wrap them for you. But there's a guy over in Kentucky who's an acupuncturist. Do you think you'd believe in acupuncture? Well, at this point, it hurts like the dickens, and I say I'll believe in anything. Um, so we go over to Kentucky, and I get my very first, last, and only acupuncture treatment. And it does absolutely, totally, completely nothing. Um, but I'm literally laying there on the table and sticking pins in me. And I have laying down on the table for some reason with my cell phone kind of between my hands and my head resting on it. And the cell phone starts to ring. 
And it's Martin Wiley, who's the director of the Marine Unit, saying, how soon can you be back? Because we want to be shooting in an hour. So I came back, and then Ken Muscatel and I went out and did this series of shots where he's going back and forth in front of, in front of me, and I'm going over his wake. And it, I shot, I broke my ribs on September 17th, and we shot until December 18th or so. And every, I, I had no pain medication, and I had three broken ribs that whole time, and it, it hurt like the dickens. Just let me add something here, because this is just the reality, to give you a sense of the reality, because this happened, and because I was actually out that day that you, I, I think I was actually at, at, a, at a race, you know. Um, and yeah, I think I you were going to and that we had, right. um, and Jerry Kingan was driving right. the bus. And uh, the thing that's important is that it, it was after that, and I almost got thrown out of the boat, my boat that I was driving, we all ended up like halfway across the decks because it, this was really pretty dangerous. So it, what's important to, for people to understand is that it was after what happened to Dave, which was very scary, that, they, uh, that the director and actually Jim Caviezel said, can I go drive the boat? Now this is true. I mean, he he was absolutely. Remember, he was he. We talked about that. He absolutely wanted to, to drive it. I could drive it, and that's what you've got to tell him. It's too dangerous. It really is dangerous, and even us who know what we're doing don't want to drive this thing over and over and over. So that was the, the line that Jim used on me was, "Well, Dave, of course I can drive the boat. I'm an athlete. I used to play basketball." Yeah. <laughs> We got him to start at once. So guys, it is uh, about five minutes after five. If, if you want, we can take questions for a few minutes. I, I'm so grateful that you came. I, I do hope you can participate in the auction on your way out. I'll contact winning bidders and let them know uh, how to pay for it. But before we wrap up, any questions from the audience? We got about 10, 15 minutes to take questions. Uh, Andy, what all right here? I remember during the filming, we ended up one day and where's Andy? Andy and yeah. oh, I, I actually announced while I'm filming the scene, oh, Andy's in jail today. <laughs> so we yeah. sold three 10 speed t-shirts. Hey David, uh, the question is, how did Chicago end up in the movie? Um, Chicago had a much smaller role in the movie than it was supposed to have. Um, we were, when we left Seattle, we were going to go straight to Chicago, and we weren't going to actually race in Chicago, but we were going to do, uh, film a whole race scene in Chicago, and that's because, uh, Bill Bindley was living in Chicago, and he had, I'm sorry, Carl Amari, who was our, uh, exactly. producer, who was the big guy who came up with the four million dollars to make the movie. He lived in Chicago, and he wanted to put some of his friends in it. Hey, Dave. Yes. Why did they change the uh, Madison race date to Labor Day when it's actually on the 4th of July weekend? When we started the movie, it was 4th of July. But as I mentioned, we didn't have a lead actor until September 4th. And a lot of the filming could not be done until late in September, early October. And for a while, it was just hysterical that they would, uh, if we had an outdoor shot, they would come by, they being the, the, the set designers, would come by with green lawn paint and paint the brown lawn green. And then 
they would paint the yellow leaves on the trees green, and as the leaves fell off, they would literally paste the leaves back up. So after doing that for two weeks, they went, oh, heck, we can't make anyone think this is July. So then they swapped it to Labor Day weekend. It was just a matter that we didn't have to be so until mid-September. David, the question yes. was, where did the uh, additional money to cover the check come from? I can answer that question, and that was the city sanitation fund. Uh, so this, although the city, uh, in, in fact, part of the script is where um, Jim, as he's leaving the boat shop, says, we may not have garbage for garbage service for three years, but at least we have the gold cup. So any other questions? I have the microphone right here. If you want to answer or ask any questions, just wave at me right now and I'll come running to you. All right, there's a question behind you, Larry. Yep. Thank you. This question is from Mark. I have seen you get towed in a few times and you always have a camera in your hand and you're taking pictures of the crowd. Now when you and Mitch did this swap, at the very end I see you with both hands in the air and no camera. What happened? It was tucked in my life jacket. That's right. <laughs> and you know what? I just got to thinking about something. Speaking of insurance, Larry. Yes. Do you remember you took a ride across the bay with uh, one leg in and one leg out? Yes. Yeah, we, I, there definitely we, should not have been any insurance coverage on that ride. Larry, Larry myself, and uh, Alex, one of the stunt guys, we all got left on the other side. They all left. And so I gave you the helmet, him the goggles, and then we mashed the gas and went back across the bay. That's how we got back. More questions from anybody? Uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, there was some maintenance done on some of the engines and very few engines available. Did you lose any motors during the filming? We did not lose an engine. Bob Schroeder lost a couple. Um, and, and the film crew lost a camera. Oh, they did? Oops. Yeah, that depends. I remember losing some lens hoods, but That's I don't remember I mean. losing yeah, camera. Some camera. Equipment. Now, there were some weird things that they tried to do that I had to put my foot down on. And it was tough because while I was saying no, someone else was saying, oh, hell yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> um, one of the things that they wanted, there are a couple shots where the boat is supposed to come right at the camera. Um, and we just couldn't get as close as they wanted. And uh, Artie Maleshi, who was the stunt coordinator, said, well, you know what we do with cars? So you get this great big 12 by 15 foot mirror. We put it at a 45 degree angle. Then we set a camera at a 45 degree angle. And we shoot into the mirror and just drive the car right through the mirror. And it looks like the car is coming right up as close as you can. Well, I thought that was a really stupid idea, but Mark was all for it. Would <laughs> <laughs> have been a cool shot. I talked to the stunt guys. They said they did it all the time. You just have to death just before you got there, I guess. <laughs> and David, we did have to remember we had to make multiple trips, Peter would know this, uh, to uh, Louisville, was it not, to pick up engine parts. I remember making at least one trip down there to uh, pick up things that couldn't be shipped directly to the because FedEx was in. Yeah, we, we had several things. Usually, the, the only thing that I know that we consistently broke were scavenger pump drives on the oil pump for the Miss Madison. I know I lost two of those. Um, but I don't remember. And then we were always getting the Budweiser and the Atlas exhaust stacks rewelded because those tended to break. Now, another thing that they wanted to do is they wanted close up shots of the propeller spinning. So, what they wanted to do was pick the boat up on the crane put a driver in the cockpit, start the engine, hang it with the propeller eight inches above the water, and then have 
uh, crew guys get up and down off the back of the boat to change the weight so that the, the back of the boat would, would go down and touch the water, then they jump off and the prop would come out. I didn't think that was a very good idea, so I wouldn't let them do that either. Um, Jerry, you look like you have something to say. Yeah, I have one, one quick observation about the filming, and it was in the movie. Um, the yellow boat, uh, I think it was Town Club, uh, went dead in the water, and the helicopter's there, and the helicopter's filming. Well, my mission was to go out, go dead in the water, and then get mad and kick the engine and throw my helmet down and my goggles. So the helicopter's coming, the movie's on, I take my goggles off, throw them in the seat, it bounces off the seat down into oily bilge water, I take the gloves off, take the helmet off, they're going to do three takes. So now the helicopter's going around and I'm putting the oily goggles back on and there's oil running down my face. I can't even see the helicopter. As soon as I hear it, I take them off, they're down. But yeah, that was an interesting project. So, so Jerry mentioned the helicopter. That, that was our limiting factor for the speed of the boats. The boats did not run as fast as we would normally run them. The helicopter had a gyro-stabilized camera and a big bulb in the nose. It was called a West Cam. And if the helicopter turned at faster than 120 miles an hour, it upset the gyros in the West Cam and they lost shot. So whenever the helicopter was there, we had to keep the boats at 120 miles an hour. And then once the helicopter left, if we went up and ran at 140, it looked, it didn't match. So, so for the whole film, we, for most of the film, we ran at 120. There was a few times, a few people got it up faster than that. Uh, just one other quick thing, David. So um, there were multiple boats with multiple paint schemes, and uh, the Pay and Pack, the Town Club, the Cat's Pride, uh, and what ended up being the ca the camera boat for um, all of the, uh, the the shots with the driver in the cockpit. Those were all the same pull. That was the the Miss Berian. Hole. And as Peter would tell you, I think, and David, you, you guys had to take many, many layers of paint. You, you should have just pulled the whole deck off the boat, right? It would have been easier. George Greer, was it 16 layers of paint? It was house paint. Yeah, yeah they, would, they would paint the boat with house paint in between takes. It looked like I painted it. And then when they figured out when we were doing the, the two-headed hydro that the full boat would never be in shot, they realized, oh, we only have to paint half of, half of it. And then... They would paint one half one color and one side the other color so they could do two shots. So there are times when the Burian went out where the front of the boat was red, the side of the boat was yellow, the other side of the boat was blue. It was a patchwork boat. So we are at right at 5.15. Um, if anyone has a question, I'll take a last question. If not, I'd really like to turn you loose and ask you to please go out. Uh, and bid on the silent your, auction items that way. Get your Madison t-shirt, your Madison hat, and your Madison button and help support the museum. Thank you so much for coming and uh, Thank you, David. Man, that was such a fun event. I have really enjoyed watching the movie one last time on the big screen, hearing the discussion afterwards, and it's just hard to believe it's been 20 years since the movie was made. Doesn't seem like that long ago, but I guess it is. Well, the Hydroplane and Raceboat Museum did a great job of hosting the event, and they host a lot of events throughout the year, so check them out, thunderboats.org. They host a lot of events, a lot of speeches, seminars, uh, different events, different shows at the museum. 
so check them out for their calendar and their upcoming events. Uh, the next two events they have listed at the museum is on Saturday, February 15th. They're going to have a radio-controlled model hydroplane show uh, that is in honor of my father, Roger Newton. Check them out and see all the models. There's a lot of beautiful models that the people around the area build um, from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. That's always a great event. But also on March 5th, that's a Thursday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. At the museum, they're going to have Out of the Darkness, and that's a suicide awareness and prevention seminar held by many um, in the medical community and the hydroplane community to talk about suicide prevention. All right, there's, I did some more research on the movie and wanted to share a few things with you. Uh, a couple things I already knew, but there's some, some interesting things I, I didn't quite know from before. On several websites, it talks about how filming concluded in 2000, and it was actually uh, selected to be the opening film for the 2001 Sundance Film Festival. And it was actually played with a standing ovation at Sundance. So that's a huge honor in itself. Um, it was uh, picked up for distribution by a company that unfortunately went out of business right afterwards. So it stalled the release and actually didn't release until April 22nd of 2005. So it took five years um, to get it out into, into the public's eye. Yeah, it was released by MGM worldwide and actually became the last film released by MGM as an independent company. Uh, reviews were very, very mixed on it. It currently holds a better review than many gave it originally on um, International Movie Database. Uh, if you're not familiar with International Movie Database, but you're a movie lover, uh, check out the website imdb.com. A lot of stuff that you can... Spent a lot of hours going down the rabbit hole learning about movies. But it currently holds a rating of 6.4 out of 10 uh, on their website. So it's not, not that bad of a rating. Uh, production costs was estimated around $13.5 million. The movie actually lost money. I won't go into how much they lost, but uh, unfortunately they didn't make, make money with that movie. Uh, the cast had some, had some big names in there. Um, it had uh, Bruce Stern, Paul Dooley, Jim Caviezel, who later came to bigger stardom with playing Jesus Christ and the Passion of Christ. But there was also two other names, some young actors who, uh, one was pretty well known at the time, Jake Lloyd. He played Mike, McNor Mike McCormick, uh, Jim McCormick's son in the movie. And this was actually his last role as an actor. Uh, after this movie, he quit Hollywood, he quit acting, and went on to a private life. But he was more well-known as playing Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace. But there's a lot of interviews and a lot of articles online saying how that was a very bad experience for him working with George Lucas and going in the public eye uh, at such a young age. So he decided that wasn't quite for him and went on to different careers in his life. But the, probably the biggest surprise I saw when looking a little bit more into research for uh, the movie and a little bit more knowledge about it was there's an actor, uh, it was actually one of her first movies and first roles in a movie, um, was Brie Larson. She was actually one of the racing girls in the circle of friends that came around and gave Mike McCormick a hard time at the beginning, but then were his besties at the end of the movie. And... If you're not familiar with Brie Larson, she actually won an Oscar a few years back for her portrayal in Room. And in recent years, entered the Marvel Universe as Captain Marvel. 
So she's been in a couple movies in the Marvel Universe with that. But it all boils down to her, her beginning in this movie, in the movie Madison. And so I think she owes a lot of uh, her career and her rise to stardom because of her role in this movie. So she really has a lot to thank for hydroplane racing. Because without that, she might not have been seen and noticed to get these larger, larger parts. Um, I didn't go back to look through interviews and see if she really acknowledged that or not. But, but as a community, we know that she owes a lot of her fame because of hydroplane racing. So whenever you see her in a movie coming up, if you see her in a new Captain Marvel movie or in something else, just think about hydroplane racing and how that helped to launch her career. I hope you've enjoyed our 19th episode. It sure was fun watching that movie one last time on the big screen. And I want to thank the Hydroplane and Racement Museum one last time for making that 20th anniversary screening happen. Make sure you check back with us next week as our next episode will be released Tuesday, January 28th at 5 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your podcast player as well as rate and review your experience. For more updates on Hydro News, check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Rooster Tail Talk is online as well with our website, roostertailtalk.com. On the website, you can sign up for email subscription list to get notifications on upcoming episodes, Hydro News, podcast updates, and much, much more. Finally, this is a free podcast to all of our listeners. But if you're really enjoying Rooster Tail Talk and want to help us to continue to grow and expand, please donate. You can find a link to donate through our PayPal section of our website under the support tab. So until next time, I hope to see you at the races.